a doctor? But probably not the one you're expecting. Welcome to Pieces of Eight. And believe it or not, it's the final episode of season two already. It is indeed. We started this run with a chat with Yiji Cho, and we've been through big Finnish full cast stories, short trips, met the man who owns the Eighth Doctor's console, learned about the Eleven, and found out all about Paul McGann's first return to the role with BBC Audio. Yep, this is the podcast that looks at a different aspect of Doctor Who universe that features the incarnation of the Time Lord as played by Paul McGann. I'm Rebecca Chapman. And I'm Kenny Smith, and you join us as we continue our quest to feature the Eighth Doctor's exploits further on screen in books, novellas, full cast audios, short stories, take a breath, comics, animations, talking books, or anything else we can lay our eyes, ears, and hands upon. And as I mentioned earlier, we've reached episode 13 of the second series of Pieces of Eighth. This week, we're concluding our interview with Matthew Jacobs, the writer of the TV movie. And it was a great chat with him as we learned quite a lot of new things about his work on the movie, which he co-produced too. He did indeed. So let's find out what Matthew felt about the TV movie not going to a series, whether he would have come back and written for it, and what he's been up to in the years since his brush with the Doctor. Oh, I'm Matthew Jacobs, and I wrote the TV movie in 96 and co-produced. One of the big things that the TV for me is the TV movie is one of my comfort blanket Doctor Who stories along with the five doctors and it's sort of you know something that took my mind off your real life after my parents passed away so it's you know thank you for for giving me that and just something that takes me to a happy time and place well thanks very much I think that that's something that the TV shows do they provide you with um, they did for me I mean, I would escape it from as a kid and things like that. But the person who really sort of set the tone that I think makes it a comfort blanket and that makes it into something that, you know, people could feel comfortable with was very much Jeffrey. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Sachs, who directed it. I mean, he's had such a good sense of humor and comedy. I mean, it was Jeffrey who came up with the like, these shoes, they fit, you know, I mean, I, written all of that stuff. I was a Gallifrey night and I was sort of and I was there with my father, something like that, and then and then we were and then we were driving around we were because I was on the set. I mean most people, most writers don't get to be on the set. And, and and it was like so so and he was saying, well this is all very nice, but we need something funny on the end of it. And I said, well I'm not sure what and he said, well you made a big meal of the shoes in the previous scene. Let's do the sh- these shoes they fit. I went, that's great. So so it's not my line, it's Jeffrey's line. Uh, you know, likewise, every, everybody sort of is so familiar with Doctor that they want to come up with lines for him. They want to create stuff for him, because he's great, he has perspective. You know, from my point of view, the Doctor is great because he has a perspective on humanity that is interesting. So you've got this, and I think a lot of writers like that about the Doctor because he isn't quite human he's able to come up with observations about life. And they, it seems natural coming from him because, because we don't quite know who he is. We don't, we don't quite know what he is really. And so, you know, and so whether it's Jodie 
or, or uh, you know, or Peter or whoever. There's the things that we remember from the doctor are these little moments of wisdom, you know, and that Matt saying, like Matt Smith saying, you know, we're all stories, just make it a good one in the end. Those kind of, those kind of little pearls are there. So, so, so it's a great opportunity for any writer and for any director, and certainly for any actor, to sort of play this sort of play this role who in many ways is a comfort to people. So he is, so the fact that he was there for you as a character, you know, when you felt sad, then, then that's that's great. He was certainly there for me as a character when I felt sad. You mentioned receiving a model from the filming process. Were you present at any of the shooting? Yes, yeah. I was there for, um, I received that model because we were about to start in Vancouver. I was living in Marin County at that time. And as I, as I was saying, I received that model because because I, in my mind, the cloister room was this small space. But, but while they'd been up there, they'd turned the cloister room into this sort of cathedral-like space. So, we, so the concern was, how do we map out the action um, at the end there? So they, so therefore, they thought it was the easiest thing was for, to, for the designers to send me a model. So it was created came and it arrived and I looked at it and I went, oh yeah, there's that. They could have just told me this. There's that there and there's this there and things like this. And so, oh, well, and then it could be a fight. I was starting to play around with it. It was great fun. And then once we got near a shooting, I was flown up there and, and we, because I was a co-producer, it was okay for me to be there, you see. So, so I was up, I was there and uh, we would do little rewrites I've got the shooting scripts on where it's like 32 rewrites <laughs> all coming down, you know, with different colors. And poor Gary, who was writing the novel, you know, he didn't really know what was happening. So he was working off of my script. I didn't get to meet him until a convention a couple of years ago. And he was writing this sort of novel based on the script. I mean, so, so there are things there, yeah. But yes, in answer to your question, Rebecca, yeah, I got to be on the set and, and that was fun. Because I'm also a director. I did quite a, quite, directed quite a few things. And, and uh, so I know to shut up if I'm <laughs> there as a writer. <laughs> <laughs> what were your highlights from the shooting? Um, <laughs> did you get that? to play in the TARDIS? I'm trying to think of things that are decent. Um, the, the, did I get to play in the TARDIS? Uh, oh yes, thank you. Um, uh, I got to. Well, I got. Uh, I, I I didn't really hang out with Sylvester as much as I was hoping. I would love to have you know done more than just said hello. I think there was that. I think for me the highlight, in a strange way, was the last day, on the last. I think it was the last day. Well, certainly we were shooting the end scene. And it was the scene where, where the, they've gone around the houses, they've come back to life. Now they're being dropped off in San Francisco on New Year's Eve again, so they can live. Well, it had the weather had really gotten bad. And, and, and it was raining, really raining that night. And you can see it, actually, if you watch carefully. You can see just how awful the weather was. It was freezing cold. Paul's wig looked like, you know, roadkill that had landed on something. It really didn't look good. And we were filming the, what for me was 
you know, the most romantic thing, which was the fact that, that uh, Dr. Holloway, Grace turns around and, and she's offered to come and she says, no, no, you come with me. Which was, for me, was the, uh, was the thing I actually liked best about the script in some ways, was that he picked up this companion who unwittingly to me kind of echoed Doc Holliday, but it was Doc Holloway. I had never thought of that until, until much, much later. But she, I, she was a very important character for me because she was, she is a doctor, but she falls for, for him, in, you know, in, in many ways. And she needs him there. And there's this whole thing of being able to sort of hold back death and the relationship toward mortality and existential questions which drive doctors that are there. And then, so at the end, she, it would have been very easier to say, easy for her to say, yes, I want to go off on an adventure with you, things like that, like most companions do, but she didn't want to. And so there was a kind of parity between the two of them that I really, that, that I really liked. And I felt that very much when I was watching it being filmed. So I was glad to be there. So for me, that's the most sort of memorable moment. And then yeah. on the first night, the night before we started shooting, Sylvester yeah. still hadn't done his deal properly. And suddenly Phil approached me and he said, well, Matthew, you look like a doctor. If he doesn't sign the deal, then you're going to be the, the seventh. I said, no. <laughs> so he was like, who is this? You can, you can do it. You've got a British accent. And, uh, and uh, that was a, a moment of fear that I would have to forget. Fantastic. Did your father get to see the movie or had he passed away by this point? He passed away, sadly. He passed away in 93. Oh. And, uh, um, and he never really got to see any of the stuff that I did in America, which is a shame because I would have been so proud to have shown him that. Yeah. As the writer and co-producer, were you invited to any of the movie premieres either in the States or the UK? I was invited, yes. I went to the DGA premiere, the premiere at the Directors Guild here, which was the big premiere. They had a TARDIS and there were Doctor Who fans lined up Sunset and, and, uh, and uh, they all came in and they were kind of scary. I think they showed it in it showed it. It was a full house, and it was, and it was exciting. And all this because they thought this might be the beginning of a series at that point. So all the agents were there, '90s style, you know, with shoulder pads and black suits, like they were hovering like crows, thinking this might turn into something that we can make a lot of money off. Of. And then they, they sort of slunk away and uh, went on to the next thing that they did. It's a weird way you... of describing a premiere, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I, I think there was a glitch. What was your question, Rebecca? How did you feel when you found out that the film hadn't attracted enough interest, as it were, to become a series? I was vaguely relieved, to be honest. Uh, I was also disappointed financially, and, uh, and I was... Uh, but there was a part of me that... You know, here was the thing, was that sort of news, you kind of know when something's going to be picked up and carried on before numbers come out. And it really wasn't. The numbers in Britain, as probably, probably Phillips told you this, the numbers in Britain were good. The numbers in America were not awful. And Fox were not 
totally against doing it again. I've spoken to Trevor since. As far as Trevor's concerned, it was like they were happy to move. The real thing that stopped it was Tom Thayer, was Universal, who had to make a choice. And this was according to, to Philip, so I hope he said the same to you, was that they had to make a choice between Sliders, which was a science fiction show they had about people sliding around. I, I never saw it, but they, it was a show that they already had a season of. And Doctor Who, which was something that they didn't really understand, wasn't really even, and try as I might. And believe me, you know, there was the point where Tom Thayer took me into a screening room and said, you have to write a voiceover at the beginning of this movie because I have no idea what is going on. And I said, well, that's the idea. It's the beginning of the movie. You have to watch the rest of it to find out. And he said, no, no, no. I want a voiceover at the beginning that explains everything. And at that point, I was, I was like, sort of, it was a gun. I felt like you have seen the movie Network. I felt like, you know, I'd been called into the room by the god and been told, you have sin. And that was so, so yes, that was really when I felt, oh, this isn't going to be picked up. Tom Thayer hates it. At the end of the day, he's the guy who's in charge of Universal TV. They're the people who are the production company. They're the production entity here. They're, they're you know, more so than the BBC. I thought it wasn't going to be picked up at that point so much. But then later on, people started saying, oh, well, it didn't get picked up because of the Roseanne thing. And that's true, but it really wasn't that. It was that Universal had a choice and, and they didn't want to do it. And I think the BBC were kind of, yeah, I think Almiantov was quite keen to keep on moving forward, but but I don't think, I, I, I think what ended up happening was for the good, actually. I think, you know, Big Finish have done this wonderful, marvelous job of keeping the Eighth Doctor not only alive, but improving him so that he didn't have to go through the rigors of, you know, when you build a character for network television. And so I think the Doctor carried on being built it was, and was being built by the fans effectively. And that really laid a great groundwork for, um, for the ninth Doctor. I don't regret it. So in answer to you, your question, I felt bad in one way and I felt good in another. I mean, if the film had gone to a series, would you have been quite interested in doing more apart from the financial side? And did you have any ideas in mind for future stories? Well, you know, uh, no, I, I, I don't. Th I don't know whether or not I would have been considered. I think they would have got an experienced TV showrunner. I'd done quite a lot of TV, but I wasn't really a TV showrunner. And they would have given me a few episodes. They would have given me a season or something. You know, they would have given me, I would have been there. I would have been in the room. I would have been involved. And that was in my contract, you know, that I would have been involved. So, uh, but I don't know whether I would have been the showrunner. Because in those days, showrunners, yeah, it was only really just becoming to become a really writer-dominated process. Uh, and so it was, you know, so it was. Also, I developed, as soon as uh, Doctor Who was over, I was approached by Sci-Fi Channel to come up with a series for, and I wanted to do a sort of Robinson Crusoe in space kind of thing, which I'd written when I was a kid around that time. And they were keen on it, but my agent said, oh, no, 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 this is a great idea. And they went and they hawked this around. Suddenly this idea I'd had, this thing, it was, it was called Mirror, was, um, it's not, not the Tarkovsky, you know, very different. But it was, it was called it was called Mirror, and suddenly the Disney Disney who I'd been working for, who at that point greenlit, you know, Empress, 
a groove and things. They loved it. And they said, well, go and find a director. And these are the two directors you, we want you to get. And if you get these one of these directors, we will then commission this science fiction. And, and it was either Wolfgang Peterson or Francis Coppola. You know, friends for So I went to Wolfgang Peterson, who said, "Yeah, you're crazy. You know, I've just made this movie, Enemy Mine, whatever it was. It was it was a film about somebody who was lost in space, and it was great. And I, so I didn't expect that, but Francis really did like it. So he jumped on board, and I was so excited because I was going to be writing his first excursion into science fiction as a studio movie, and it was a fun project." So I immediately went on to writing that. It didn't happen because his deal with Disney went south after he made Jack, which was, uh, you know, which even though some people like it, it was it was wasn't liked very much. You know, there were there, were, there was uh, were the, what, the film with Robin Williams playing a child. And, uh, <laughs> And it was like it was like so he kind of got dumped from that deal and every it went into nothing happened with it basically so that's why I didn't really wasn't really too concerned at the time about continuing with Doctor Who because I thought I was going to be writing Francis's sort of first science fiction movie but that's the honest answer was I that's the absolute honest answer was was like at that time I wanted to do different stuff. Yeah. Um, so it would have been, but it was a fantastic. I look back on it now and I go, oh shit, I, I really missed out. You know, I would have loved to have been, I would love to have been involved with the new doctor. I still would, but you know, you know life changes. Paul McGann's doctor, of course, has lived on in books, audios, short stories, and comic strips since 1996. Have you seen or heard any of these? His audio dramas have shown just how good a doctor he would have been. Yes, I've heard a couple of the audio dramas. I've not read any of the books, really. I read Gary's book, and I've seen Paul since since we've been doing this documentary. I've seen him a couple of times, and he's such a, he's so lovely, and he was he's a perfect doctor. It's such a shame that he didn't get a lot more time. Maybe they could still give him some time. Why not? Yeah, we'd like that. Yeah. Did you get so, to see Night of the Doctor? His farewell. Yeah, of course, yes, that's what that's what drew me back into the whole world of this thing. That that thing came out. For a start, I was in a small apartment in San Francisco at the time, and and there were the world was going crazy with Doctor Who, so I felt really like you know Cinderella had been left. I'd been left outside, and so suddenly to have Night of the Doctor was like just made me feel great. It made me feel fantastic. Do you know what I mean? To see that they last sort of really recognised the Eighth Doctor, because as you know, as I'm sure you you all say, this is he's the longest and the shortest. This is like the short. He, he's been the Doctor for longer than any other Doctor, and he's he's also only been on one real TV show. So it's that weird thing. There's a lot of space for him if he wanted to come back and do it, do it again. I'm not sure he would even want to, to be honest. I really like Jodie. I think she's great. I mean, I think it's a shame that they've announced. So, uh, you know, before this season, they've announced that they're moving on because it means that everybody's going to watch this season thinking, who's going to be next? And, you know, they're going to be viewing it. They're not, it's, it's, it's kind of undermines the season in a way, I think, the fact that they've announced it. 
it's obvious that you've been keeping in touch with the show ever since having your interest reignited and catching up and seeing all the Eccleston, Tennant, Matt, Capaldi and um, and Jody as well. Yes. Yeah. I've been, I, I, I mean, I'm not avid. I mean, I'm not like sort of completely on it. Know every, all the details about it. But I've been keeping up with it, especially since we've been doing this documentary, which is Vanessa's, you know, thing. I mean, it's beautiful. It's, I, I, I will be excited to sort of share it with everyone. We're, we've finished now. We've actually finished making it. So now it's out to, uh, it took a long time. It's like when you do an independent documentary, not only does it take a long time to really find the stories, but it also takes time, in this case, to clear all the legal stuff because it's such a well-known franchise. So you have to, you have to sort of go through the dance of fair use, lots of lawyers, back and forth and recuts, recuts, you know, until something passes muster on a legal sense so that you then have a film that you can go out with. And now we're going out with this film to the various festivals and to some of the platforms. And uh, Colin Vanes, who's the executive producer, who's come on board, who did films like you know, My Week with Marilyn and, and uh, Gangs of New York and things like that. And he, he, he loves the film. And so he's he's going out with it very much in Britain. So the hope is, fingers crossed, this documentary, which really explores a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, the way in which you relate to uh, the show as a fan, and how what what is being a fan, and what others, especially what especially especially what you were saying there, Kenny, about a show that's up there that in some way helps you with your life. Uh, you know what I mean? That provides, you know, the function of, uh, of, of fandom, the function of, of uh, mass entertainment, as they say, it's a very posh way of saying it, but really that's what I mean. For those who haven't kept an eye on your career, what have you written in the intervening 25 years? Oh, well, stuff that came out after, but had been written around the same time and before, there's The Emperor's New Groove, which I have, I share original story credit with, which I did the first, the, I did the story and the first six drafts with Roger Alice. So there's that. Then there's a film. I know I've also done some, done some, there's a horrible kind of, you know, Wonderful World of Disney film with Kelsey Grammer. There's a, another animation film called Justin and the Knights of Valor. That was like 2013 or 14. But there's a bunch of stuff. And then there are these little films that I've been making. Um, one called Your Good Friend, which I made a sort of independent film about a relationship between a washed up pornographer and a, and a recently widowed rabbi. And they, they set about trying to make a, uh, a clergy approved porn site. And, and, and if, but really, the, the rabbi is leading him on. And the pornographer thinks that he's found a friend. But really, all, all the rabbi wants is to get the apartment, the apartment where he fell in love with his wife, back. And so it's really it, there's no pornography in it, but uh, but it's but it's 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 a film that's actually cut, I, I I really like it. It's, the, it's one of the first films I worked with Vanessa on, and she was the assistant director, and she played one of the leading roles in it as well. She was very good, and and I'd been making small a small I'd made a small film with Bernard Bernard Rose called Boxing Day that actually was released, 
think in 2013 or 2012 in Britain, where I played co-lead. It was an adaptation of Master and Man. And it's just, it was just Danny Houston and myself driving around, driving up into the Rockies in Colorado and trying to survive the night and, and basically following the Tolstoy story. And that had film had played Venice. And it was such fun to be a movie star for three days. I really enjoyed it. But it was just three days, but it was great. So I was a movie star in Italian for three days. And then I came back and I thought, I'm going to make more movies like that. I'm going to make more movies sort of on the fly. So we did Look with Friend. We did Bar America. And now we've just done Doctor Who Am I? And then we've made another, I've made another film with, with Bernard called Traveling Light. And then I, and I did a bit of acting for uh, this movie Vice. I played Antonin Scalia, but most of my stuff ended up on the floor. I'm just a glorified walk-on in the finished film. But I did get a chance to improvise with Christian Bale, which was fun. But I couldn't really hear much of what he was saying. It was meant to be a duck hunting scene. We had headphones on. And you've seen Christian Bale. He's sort of, you know, I was going, yeah, okay. <laughs> so it was very weird. <laughs> it was a very weird. So I've done a bunch of things and I've, and I've done a pile of, sort of teaching at universities. So Rebecca, yes, but nothing as big as the doctor. Uh, doctor who was fantastic. <laughs> nothing, nothing is, nothing as grand as that since. So it was, but, but yeah, you know, it, it was fun. Thank you, Matthew. It's been an absolute joy. I'm, I'm, I'm grinning from ear to ear and thoroughly enjoyed good. it, so thank you. Well, thank you. Oh, no, it's, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much, and good luck to Pieces of Eight. I, I just wanted down. to say a huge thanks for your part in creating such a fantastic Doctor in his eighth incarnation. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thanks, Kenny. This has been really a joy, a lovely way, uh, lovely way to start the day. Thank you so much. So that's it. Season two of Pieces of Eight is done. I know you really enjoy all of these episodes that we do, and when we've spoken off mic, I know how difficult it is to choose a favourite. But now I'm going to ask you to choose or you will die. Oh, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> but yes, <laughs> okay. Um, Craig, you're looking back over this one. There's been so many fascinating people like Paul Salamoff with the console, which was just something that's just intriguing. I want to own that console, and I know you do too. Although quite mm. where you'd fit it in your flat, I'm not quite sure. But I think if I was forced to, and given that you've got a gun at my head right now, I'll probably have to pick the BBC audio episode with Earth and Beyond, because that was something that meant a lot to me at the time. And it was just really interesting to hear how it had all come about. And we found out who Andrew Miller really was. What Definitely. About, what about you? I, I suppose Yiji was a real highlight. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, I know it sounds cliche, but the the interview we did with Yiji was great. You know, he was so lovely. I think the fact that we were able to sort of, it almost felt like we were sitting with him in his living room because we did get to just that lovely view. He was sitting just in front of us on his iPad and it was just like he was sitting in a sofa and we were there with him and having a nice friendly chat. That was really good fun. Really good. I enjoyed that a lot. And of course, Matthew was fascinating as well, just to hear about the ins and outs of the production of the movie. And of course, the fact that he knows about Big Finish, which I thought was really interesting, and he came up with them without us even mentioning them. He did, which is fantastic. So yeah, fingers crossed that, who knows, maybe one day Matthew Jacobs could get a second line in his Doctor Who CD. Definitely. So that's it for season two. But don't worry, there's still one more episode of Pieces of Eights to come in 2021. 
Yes, as ever, we're copying Russell T. Davis's formula by having a 13-episode season plus a Christmas special. What's the point in trying to come up with an original idea if there's a brilliant one already out? Exactly. I mean, there's several Eighth Doctor stories which have Christmas at the heart of them, which we could choose from, including The Chimes of Midnight and the recent Krampus stories from Ravenous. But we've gone for something a little different. Since Christmas is all about family, we're going to join the Doctor and Lucy Miller with Susan and Alex Foreman as we find out all about relative dimensions when our next episode drops on Christmas Eve. But of course, the caveat with that is you all have to be good little boys, girls and non-binaries. Do you think you can manage that? I'm sure you can. So that's all from season two of Pieces of Eight. And we'll be back with you on December the 24th. Bye. Bye. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way.